Warning, this podcast contains language that will not land you on the nice list. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Hymns, Stamps.com, and by Something Bad Happening to George Pell. What happened? I don't know. Maybe you Google it. That's great. I don't want to talk about it. It's pretty great. And now, The Scathing Atheist. I'm Don. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jerry. And individually, we're nobodies from exurban Atlanta. Together, we are the Godless Heathens Podcast. And you can Google that shit all you want. But we did, in fact, evolve from from filthy filthy monkey men. men. December 13th. And it's Taylor Swift and Ted Nugent's birthday. And let's hope they receive a Tay Nuge of birthday greetings. That was good. Tay Nuge. Like, classic Heath. I don't know. I had trouble reading that. I'm No Illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Ron Weasley of the Tri State area, New Jersey, Cincinnati Swing State, and Good Husband, Georgia, this is the scathing atheist on this week's episode we'll find out the best thing two nuns can do outside of a porn praying makes you an asshole according to math the a priori fabric of the universe and we'll move for a mistrial in the case for christ but first the diatribe If you felt a slight tremor last Thursday morning that lasted about seven and a half minutes, don't worry. It was not an earthquake. That was the seismic orgasm from the Liberty Council when, after years of exhaustive searching, they finally actually found a school administrator who overdid it when it came to secularizing the classroom. So the story starts in Elkhorn, Nebraska, and travels very quickly to the social media of all the shitty people from high school that you meant to block. And it includes a long list of material deemed inappropriate by Manchester Elementary School principal Jennifer Sinclair. The principal sends out a reminder to all the teachers that while it's okay to put up seasonal decorations, it's not okay to put up decorations that promote religion. And and that's all well and good, but she offers up a list that ping-pongs between correct and comical for a dozen bullet points. I mean, there's some reasonable stuff on there, like, you know, don't sing songs with Jesus in them. And then there's this questionable stuff like don't have Christmas trees in the classroom. And then there's ridiculous shit like don't have candy canes. Why no candy canes? Well, the principal helpfully explains, quote, historically, the shape is a J for Jesus. The red is for the blood of Christ, and the white is a symbol of his resurrection. This would also include different colored candy canes, end quote. You know, because they're still shaped like Jesus J's, I guess. Now, admittedly, this list is fucking stupid, especially the candy cane thing, which is not remotely historical, by the way. In case you're curious, it's not even a solid try at ahistorical since they obviously couldn't think of anything for the white to symbolize. But as silly as this is, it's still pretty clear that nothing she was doing was malicious, right? She didn't hate fucking Christmas. She was trying to do the right thing and she was wildly misinformed. And let's be clear, the reason she was so misinformed is because she'd been listening to religious people. She didn't learn that candy cane thing from an atheist. 
I mean, you and I can look at this list and say, okay, yeah, most of this is pretty silly. But to the devoted Christian that makes up stories about candy canes and insists that the tree represents the wood of the cross, how do they dispute it? Right. I mean, if you're obsessed with cramming the Christ back into Christmas, you also have to suffer the consequences of pulling it out of the public schools, don't you? I mean, this whole problem ultimately stems from Christians trying to have their sky cake and eat it, too. The Constitution doesn't allow them to shut down the government over a religious holiday, so they pass a law that says this is a secular one. And if you're working for a rational actor, that's a sustainable detente, right? We'll do all the secular parts. You guys add whatever religious shit you want, and we'll all sustain the retail sector. But that only works if both parties see equity as an acceptable outcome. But Christians have shown us over and over again that they want it both ways. They want the whole fucking country to recognize their holiday, but they also want to keep it to themselves. And thus, principals are put in this problematic position of trying to draw a line between the secular parts and the religious parts of Christmas, while religion is intentionally blurring that line. And despite the sustained climax that put the Fox and Friends crew out of work for a day and a half, the clearest thing this story highlights is how fictitious their war on Christmas is. One principal in Elkhorn, Nebraska, a, a, a city that I'm mentally noting as I read it in case I needed a ready reference for fucking nowhere in the future, steps slightly over the line in trying to censor Christmas decorations and its national news. The list is immediately rescinded. The fucking principal is put on leave, despite the fact that her worst crime was continuing to listen to a Christian after they started a point with historically speaking. And again, what was her intent? What did this new villain of the Liberty Council seek to do with this list? She thought to herself, you know, hey, our school has two Hindus and a Jew. Maybe we should make them feel a little less alienated. She did that incorrectly. And that's the boogeyman Fox News has been combing the nation for for the last 22 fucking years. I mean, Let's all try to keep in mind when they start squawking about the war on Christmas that this is what they're talking about, right? They're always real careful to pretend that the real enemy they're fighting is us, atheists, secular progressives that want to rob them of their Christmas joy like the fucking Grinch. But that's not who it's for, right? When we ended our company meeting this week, I wished all five atheists on the line a Merry Christmas because I know all those fucking people are celebrating Christmas. I mean, they're fond of pointing out that 90% of the people in this country celebrate Christmas as though they haven't just pointed out that one in every 10 people that you meet in this country doesn't. That's some 32 and a half million people. And most of those people are Jewish, Muslim, Hindu or Jehovah's Witness or something. Most atheists do celebrate Christmas like better than four fifths of us. But if the Yuletide chicken littles ever acknowledge that the secular considerations around these holidays are there for religious minorities, not atheists, they might alienate the wrong people. Right. Like religious people are then too likely to say, oh, wow, I guess when a Muslim hears Merry Christmas, they feel like I do when I hear happy holidays, except with having a point. So they'll keep using the scapegoat Christians have no sympathy for left leaning people who tried to be nice to the Muslim kid wrong. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are boundless fonts of vulgarity. Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Guys, got another vulgarity for charity for you to start things off. Stephen gave us $250 to roast Michigan Congressman Tim Wahlberg. All right. Tim Wahlberg looks like his high school voted him most likely to visit the dermatologist. <laughs> and they were right. And he went there and he got diagnosed with 
please give Charlton Heston his skin back. (laughs) Uh, Tim Wahlberg looks like once a year he rises from the grave to stand too close to the women's room door. (laughs) Uh, If Rotten Teeth had a lawyer to represent them, it would be Tim Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah. So while his two front teeth duke it out like a couple of Highlanders, we'll pause for a quick word from our first sponsor this week, Hymns. Hi, I'm Jet Sputley, and welcome to the game show that's sweeping the nation. How old are you? Our contestant today is Eli Bosnick. He's a podcaster from New Jersey whose hobbies include being mad at a computer and eating. Eli, welcome to How Old Are You? Uh, excited to be here, Chet. All right, you know the rules. If our lucky mystery lady can guess your age, you win a prize. Belinda, are you ready? Ready, Chet. Re- ready, Chet, go. All right, go. Um, okay. Uh, have you ever used forhims.com? Uh, what's forhims.com? Oh, it's a, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Uh, oh, uh, I, di- I didn't know that. I- is that like, you know, internet pills, if you know what I mean? No, no. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. You get well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. Uh, 30 seconds, Belinda. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, y- you sure you haven't tried it? Uh, n- no, I haven't tried for Um, 44. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry, Belinda. The answer is 31. 31? Yeah. Wow. You look bad. Yeah, well, stress, Belinda. Well, but okay. don't worry, you won't be going home empty-handed. You and our listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. Just go to forhims.com slash scathing. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash scathing. Forhims.com slash scathing. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, the list of things the political arm of American Christianity prioritizes below questionable interpretations of mistranslated Bronze Age cosmology grew to include people dying of AIDS last week. When it came to light that the NIH is working under direction from top officials in the Trump administration to stifle promising research on HIV and AIDS treatments because they used chunks of dead pre-baby. This research is the latest victim of a review that began in September to reevaluate the importance of research involving fetal tissue, quote, in light of the serious regulatory, moral and ethical considerations involved, end quote. Uh, so basically, Carly Fiorina's nightmares are the law now. Yes. Uh, everyone has Ugh. to kill their daughter. That's that was not thing. a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. uh, I- I should say, though, that the reporting on this hasn't exactly been straightforward. So the Washington Post kicked things off with reports from two unnamed sources in a lab in San Francisco where virtually every HIV drug gets tested, who said that a multi-million dollar seven-year contract was in the midst of drying up. And instead of getting two years worth of money that they were expecting, they got a 90-day extension and a warning that there probably wouldn't be any more. Uh, Officials at the Department of Health and Human Services, however, are disputing that report and insist that their review is ongoing and no decision has been made. But since the pressure here isn't coming from legitimate ethical or scientific concerns, it's hard to imagine what they're fucking reviewing, except maybe the scriptures. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just got a fetus and an AIDS patient on a scale. Okay, where do we put the duck? Where the fuck? (laughs) Which side does it go on? Now, It's worth noting here that almost every (laughs) drug approved to treat HIV or AIDS has been tested using human fetal tissue, okay? So the tissue from aborted fetuses are used to culture human T-cells in lab rats, which then take on the Lovecraftian moniker of humanized mice. Uh, Noah, 
Um, rodent Americans, please do not follow PETA. <laughs> I do not. Speciesist. Right, so, now, this provides an essential intermediate between the test tube and human trials. And according to every researcher quoted on every article about this move, there are no current alternatives. So the alternative to using fetal tissue is just not doing the science. God, Religious people be like, done, B, final answer. Yep. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Best laid plans of mice and men. Yeah. They end with tragic death because slow-witted people squash something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and need to be euthanized. I, I, that I seems like the analogy nicer, got away from me. But yeah, medical, I, got away say, from I don't, I feel like just hacked up a little. And, and, and look, and this is, <laughs> this isn't the only science not being done because religious zealots have more control over scientific research than scientists, right? Okay, so this review began in September when the FDA was ordered by political cronies to cancel a small contract to procure feudal tissue uh, for research from a California nonprofit, which is a move largely seen as an effort to bankrupt said nonprofit. A lab run by the National Eye Institute had to shelve promising research into uh, eyes, obviously. Uh, and, and shortly after this bullshit <laughs> review began, uh, another lab in Montana that was doing HIV research was also effectively su shut down after having its access to fetal tissue choked off by the HHS. On the bright side, though, when you add people with HIV, this gets the Trump administration tantalizingly close to having oppressed every minority ever fucked by American politics in half a term. That's nice. That's an accomplishment they can go down with. So. <laughs> All right. I hate to go full Bugs Bunny, but... In the name of science, I think we have to start spreading word that fetal tissue comes from black voters. It's the only way to get the Republican. It is the only way. Okay, that's from a Bugs Bunny cartoon that you've seen? They, yeah, the old one of ones were ones. really racist. Yeah, the they put a, a warning at the front of them now. But <laughs> it's there. Gotta Google it. And in muzzled state news tonight. One thing we haven't had the chance to point out yet here on The Scathing Atheist is that the midterms were especially good for Muslim representation this year, with four entire Muslims winning at the federal level, 13 Muslims winning their elections at the state level, and even more in local elections. And while this obviously makes up a tiny percentage of our electorate, it didn't stop Christian bigots everywhere from losing their shit. So, Anna... What time is it? What are the guys talking about? It's the newest, the greatest Christian freakout. All right. So first up to the screaming post was Christian activist E.W. Jackson, who took a break from looking like a walrus on a job interview. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> to warn us that the upcoming rule change allowing people to wear religious head coverings in Congress signals the beginning of Sharia law. Oh, yes. Uh, I think he means... Sharia anarchy. It's a rule that's going away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Idiot. So here's the quote. Quote, what? Are we now going to turn Congress into an institution of Sharia law? The floor of Congress is now going to look like an Islamic republic. <laughs> I mean, really? What? Man, we are a Judeo-Christian country. We are a nation rooted and grounded in Christianity. And that's that. Forget the first half of that word. Judeo-Christianity? No. 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 Christianity. <laughs> he continues, the threat to humanity is Islam, period. That's the That's only right. one. Judeo-Islam? Right. No. <laughs> I said it, and I mean it. That system is dangerous, and it is a threat to freedom, period. Not adding period. Did I say period three times? Shit, now it's an ellipsis. I mean, um, I mean it. Period. Final period. Nope. Now I did too. Stop. Just go. 
Next. Yeah, no, nailed it. This is the prophecy the Quran was talking about. Just two women wearing hats during a budget meeting. That's that's what it said. In their capacity as national leaders. Yeah, no, it's so very a much job like... they drove to in a car by themselves. Yeah, right. nailed it. Just it's like right the, the Muslims Just have like been the dreaming said. of. All right, but look, I'm sorry. The Islamic State is stagnant, barbaric, funded by oil, and unduly burdened by America's bloated military. So how is the floor of Congress different than them now? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next up was scathing atheist all-star and bingo on his name-o, State Senator Jason Rapert, who got himself briefly kicked off Twitter by sharing an article from the anti-vaccine, anti-Muslim, anti-Semitic conspiracy website, DC Clothesline, about... How many Muslims got elected in the midterms with the caption, 95% of Muslim voters participated in this year's midterm election. Do you want them ruling over everything in America? End quote. I mean, and like, those would be valid points if Jason wasn't actively trying to impose Christian theocracy. Yeah. You know, as Hemet Mehta pointed out over on the Friendly Atheist blog, this is the guy who encouraged his colleagues to join his Christian lawmakers group. He's not mad about theocracy. He's worried one of the other religions is going to get it first. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start worrying about the Muslim takeover of the United States when the airport security room is full of anything besides 12 extremely polite Muslim guys and Noah. (laughs) Just just throwing his white privilege against the wall there. Next up in headlines, we have some bad news for victims of terrible tragedies like natural disasters and mass shootings, and also some bad news. (laughs) The bad news, those terrible things are not going anywhere, and we actually have very powerful organizations in this country working very hard to keep it that way. Jesus fucking Christ, we have a pro-natural disaster lobby and we let them use a different name, people, why? (laughs) That's true fact. Okay, but the bad news, those thoughts and prayers you pampered victims have been swimming in for centuries are actually worth a lot less than you thought or prayed. According to a new study, that zero number that gets tossed around by cockeyed optimists is actually a giant overshot. And now we have some idea just how much of an overshot. So I guess one more piece of bad news Religion is. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on, man. What's the harm of other people's? Well, I wrote this paper. Boo, nerd. I meant, I meant stop talking. Not- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the harm? Well, Sounds like a question. I always meant stop talking. Oh, almost <laughs> like if the mainstream had bothered to listen to us atheist activists, they could have been ignoring this for fucking years. Speed it up, guys. <laughs> and uh, this wildly depressing value became a topic of interest for Linda Thunstrom of the University of Wyoming. So she conducted an experiment to find out if people who offer thoughts and prayers end up giving more money or less money to the victims of a tragedy and how much more or less. Well, according to her initial findings, thoughts and prayers are worth about negative 38% when it comes to charitable donations. Right. And if she had factored us in, who are actively spiteful of the people we help, it really changes our math, fucks up the whole thing we never think. Or pray. Yeah, so here's how the study worked. In one trial, a mix of religious and non-religious people were given $5 
and asked how much they wanted to donate to help victims of a hurricane. They could keep the rest of the money. And the average donation was $1.87, which is fucking what? terrifying. People were just holding that 313 for a fucking happy meal. <laughs> Who knows? But it turns out religious people gave more on average than atheists and agnostics. It was a uh, dollar ninety-eight versus dollar seventy-five. Guys, um, come on. Well, I don't know. Maybe it was based on guilt because the religious people voted for the party of climate change denial again. <laughs> who knows? Hard to say. I'm, I'm going to guess the atheists were sure they were going to double that money in Bitcoin, so they, you know, they took it just to <laughs> get that initial cash flow going. Right, but. Let's give religious people some credit for their charity for a second and second over because we're about to take that credit right back with trial number two. This time, the religious people were told to pray for the victims before they got their $5 charity allowance. And that time, the average donation for religious people was $1.23 down from $1.98. Jesus. So again, the prayers cost the victims about 38% of those donations from religious people. Jesus I love that some people were like, you get a prayer or something real. Not both. <laughs> I'm not made out of prayers <laughs> or money. Okay, but, okay. so just to be clear here, all three of us just keep the five bucks and say, yeah, you also could have given this amount to hurricane victims research or this shit's on you, right? <laughs> I right? found five dollars. I, I walk out with five bucks, I feel like. You created a weird false dichotomy. I can't see them. All right, come back. I'm I'm just I'm walking right out with your five dollars. You have to stay for the study. Come on. No, I don't. Fun fact: you're not a cop. What, what did you learn today? What did you deal? learn? And I'm super sensitive. Why don't you write dating. down what you learned on your little data sheet there? Perfect. You got you to call a professor, ask him how to quantify this. I just took another five dollars. <laughs> And I'm taking your hat. See? You're learning a lot today. <laughs> I pray every day, I'm, and I'm an atheist. There you go. Now, uh, it should definitely be noted that Ms. Thunstrom might be fucking stupid. <laughs> Sounds like these numbers are pretty straightforward, but her interpretation of the result was nonsense. Here's the exact words from her conclusion statement. Quote, Our results imply victims of natural catastrophes may be financially worse off from people expressing their sympathy through the act of praying. This does not necessarily mean that victims are worse off in terms of welfare. Show me on the doll how you get there. <laughs> well, here it is. She says, it's entirely possible that a recipient of these prayers assigns a positive monetary value to that <gasps> prayer which may or may not exceed the value by which monetary donations percent of due to the act of praying. End quote. <laughs> Come on, Heath, give her a break. Scientists have been writing no. whoops just disproved God statements since day one. And this is her first try. <laughs> Come on. You know, if you think about it, that nine days when you thought the Nigerian prince really was going to forward you a vast fortune was awesome. It might be break even, right? You might not even live to spend that retirement money you lost. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one other detail. In a third trial, everyone was told to offer thoughts to the victims first, and everyone's average donation actually went up. So, basically, if we could remove the God part from religious people's stupid fucking thoughts, 
they'd literally become better people. Yep. And according to this study, the religious people start out more charitable than we do. But if they add God to their thoughts and turn those thoughts into prayers, they become 38% more shitty mathematically. <laughs> wow. Well, and while we wallow in the joy of having a bunch of listeners that don't pray for us, we're going to take a quick break and hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. It's a slut, right? Hey, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Misogyny. As you can imagine, Noah talks a lot. I tend to tune him out when I have a particularly time-sensitive task on Stardew Valley, but in my defense, usually when I tune back in, he's bitching about the implausibility of the last commercial he saw or something. But once in a while, he says shit that makes sense. And one of the things he says a lot, and you've probably noticed this, is that religion is the last sanctuary for bad ideas. And that's really the whole justification for a weekly misogyny segment in the middle of an atheism show. Sexism is the most pervasive and resilient bad idea our species has come up with yet. And every time we take a step forward, we carve out an exemption for religion as we do it. Okay, you can't make penis a job requirement unless you're a church. You can't endorse spousal abuse unless you're a church. You can't fire a woman for getting pregnant unless you're a church. Imagine that shit. It's 20 goddamn 18, and Ned Reich, a Catholic school teacher in Pennsylvania, is trying to hide her pregnancy from her employer like a tragic Nathaniel Hawthorne character. But it's okay for them to have policies that were archaic in 1850 because they're a Catholic school, and she's a filthy slut. There's no damn question that if any other business did that, they'd be shutting down tomorrow afternoon. But it's a Catholic school, and if people won't stop sending their kids there when they rape them, Reich's dismissal isn't likely to move the needle. And it's not like the church is some hospice where we send ideas to die. It incubates these arcane and outmoded ideas. And as we saw in the recent fight over contraception, sometimes it bursts back out into the secular world like the spawn of a facehugger, which makes it all the more disturbing when you read blogs from folks like Bishop Donald J. Sanborn, who tempers an article about sexual assault by pointing out that hemlines are way higher than they used to be. This is the shit they're promoting. This is the shit they're preserving. The idea that at least some of the rape is the hemline's fault. But just in case those stories hit a little too close to home, let me leave you on a high note in the form of something way more horrible that happened further from home. This one comes to us from southern India, where the religions are incubating all kinds of sick shit. Specifically, the idea that menstruating women are unclean and must therefore remain in menstruation huts, where clean people won't be in danger of touching them. Well, needless to say that those huts aren't built to the same specs as full-blown houses and don't usually have all the amenities like radios to warn them of inclement weather and safe places to be in case of a cyclone hits. Now, the story goes on, but it involves a 14-year-old girl, and it's at least the dozenth time I've had to read a story like this. So I'll do you the favor of sparing you the details and just tell you that there's a reason I'm patrolling the ramparts for you. If 2018 has taught us anything, it's that social progress isn't inevitable. And on that disturbing reminder, I'll hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. And in Camp I Don't Wanna news tonight, according to State Department official Scott Busby, China has detained at least 800,000 Muslim minorities in internment camps, all of whom would be perfectly happy to live under the hellish religious persecution we have in America, like cops, plain red cops. They have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
oh, I just want to see American Christians get actually persecuted, just chained up in a Chinese black site somewhere, get handed a plain solo cup of water in December, just like (laughs) (laughs) Jew. Keep them up all night playing loud recordings of secular store greetings. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So in a stark contrast to the religious whining we regularly report on, uh, it's pretty important to note that China is actually religiously suppressing millions of its citizens. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's suppressing all of its citizens, but it's only religiously suppressing the religious ones. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So now in China's defense. Sure. The major Chinese Muslim group, the Uyghurs, have been trying to create their own separate state for decades and have committed their fair share of terrorism. But as we've had to yell at Heath several times in staff meetings, that does not mean you get to lock millions of them up in camps indefinitely. And we agreed on not indefinitely. So (laughs) there it is. And just to be clear, that means Eli called a staff meeting to address the time cap on locking up millions of Muslims. I just want to <laughs> throw that out there. You call weird meetings. You make saying. me call weird meetings. That, I, you, <laughs> this is on you. All right. So according to Busby, Problem. the quote, the yes. U.S. government assesses that Hate since you. April 2017, Chinese authorities have indefinitely detained at least 800,000 and possibly more than 2 million Uyghurs, ethnic Kazakhs and other members of Muslim minorities in internment camps. End quote. Also, their kid boxes are nowhere near as nice as ours. (laughs) Inside the camps, religious holidays and praying are against the rules, and detainees are forced to forswear religion and promise to be loyal members of the Communist Party. Wow, you're basically describing the atheist crews we want to organize. Just (laughs) seriously, just switch out communist for socialist. That's our blurb. We're ready to go. And and we're going to get the Taste of Alaska buffet. Don't forget Taste of Alaska. Buffet. It's free. Get enough people. Gonna be great. However, outside the camps, life is not a picnic for Chinese Muslims either. Again, quote, Muslim neighborhoods have entry and exit points manned by armed police. Families have been forced to accept Chinese officials into their home for extended homestays. Thousands of mosques have been shuttered or destroyed. Some have even been converted into communist propaganda centers. End quote. I was so on board for a second. See, now I want to start a mosque here in Georgia so that I can convert it into a communist propaganda center when the Christians start to protest <laughs> and then back into a mosque when they protest again. It'll be great. It'll be fun. Keep Guy's got a two, two-sided sign. <laughs> All right. Now, we should point out that this isn't just a problem for Muslims in China. Christians and other religions have faced serious oppression in China as well. So China, if you're listening... And I know you are. Love the show. Big fan. Patron. Cut it out. Making us look bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Bad China. <laughs> and finally tonight, we have a story about the dumbest college degree in existence. Mean. Uh, other than, of course, the one my parents are currently trying to return without a receipt 15 <laughs> years later. On behalf of their idiot podcaster son who is supposed to get a job, they can explain in words to people. <laughs> that pays for parents' retirements, theoretically. Didn't work out for them. Hopefully the return goes better. And uh, mom, if they won't do a refund, just a heads up, happily we'll take a store credit for a STEM degree. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you can wangle. Anyway, the degree I'm talking about that's almost as stupid is... uh, Eli's. Is it my degree? Because I'm hurt. hurt. (laughs) It was your degree. But also a degree from the... 
Luder Wycliffe School of Eschatology, where they started offering a doctorate in end times prophecy. <laughs> Only $2,240. Oh, that's great for a doctorate, though. I mean, it's sort of a limited time offer by definition, but it's a great deal. <laughs> also, I mean, that's stupid, but it, it's also 10 times cheaper than my degree. So, you know, cost versus benefit there, I think we got to... Yeah, no, versus your degree, though, it's about break even. No, I get yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess a PhD in eschatology could do what we're doing right now. Right? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I went over to the website for Luder Wycliffe and checked out their program. The entire curriculum is apparently video downloads for about $2,000 a piece. And those are each a degree. Oh, wow. You, you, you watch the movie and you're a bachelor of guessing or a master of hoping or with this latest offering, a doctorate of nothing yeah. because the world is over. Or it's not, either way. Um, I also noticed a few choice sentences that uh, a lawyer clearly made them include on the site. For example, quote, whether a particular school or agency will accept the credits or degrees from Luther Wycliffe is quite unpredictable. And <laughs> I bet I could predict it. <laughs> I love whimsical scam language. Right. Whether or not our degree in horse locusts is real is quite the bone mo. Care to pull back the curtain and reveal our inner truth? <laughs> And uh, they also had a disclaimer about, uh, I guess I'd call it safe handling practices for these degrees. <laughs> yeah, fair. At the very bottom of their mission statement, it said, quote, the degree programs of Luther Wycliffe are designed solely for religious vocations, end quote. So... Maybe harmful if you do a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing right. this degree. You know, in the Trump administration, I think this degree was especially in danger of people mm -hmm. being like, I need, I actually need that. <laughs> yep. And my favorite part there's a video showing the sales pitch from the PhD infomercial they're apparently running somewhere. <laughs> and it's rough. It's the best. S some guy who looks like the ghost of. Alfred E. Newman passed, walks into frame, and <laughs> drops an armful of books about reality. He's like, there must be a better way. And then he explains how you could be the very first Dr. Doomsday, <laughs> but only while supplies last. And if you call in the next 10 minutes, they'll throw in a free and the world is done. Doesn't matter. <laughs> only while supplies of this video download last. All right. Well, I feel These like I've got flying a lot of off the shelves. <laughs> Oh, right, my well, God, it's $2,000. Do not call in. We are losing money on these. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got a lot of post-apocalyptic looting to get to, apparently. So we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks, as always. Stamps. And when we come back, we'll crack open the case for Christ, by which I mean we'll smoke crack until we can bear to open it again. Telling Midge it's not for Christmas. Uh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Mrs. Trump, you wanted to see me? Oh, hey, Guyler. What's going on, baby? You look Greg. Have you been, you know, working out? M Mrs. Trump, is, is everything okay? No! 
Jyler, everything is not okay. It's my rank Christmas trains. Nobody liked them, so I'm sending them back. Oh, you mean the red ones? Yes, the red ones. Listen to this. Malaria. No, that's Melania. Tramps, Christmas trees are a frightening look into the broken pisieche. That's psyche. Of a truly bang person. How could they say such a thing, Gyler? Let me see that. Come on, you can't believe everything that liberal media hacks like Tucker Carlson say. Oh, Gyler, Christmas is ruined. How, what am I going to do? Well, you could try stamps.com. What's a stamps.com? Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Post Office right to your desktop. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Then the mail carrier picks it up. No trips to the post office required. It couldn't be easier. Geiler, I don't understand. How does that help with the trees? Oh, well, you could just you could send them very, very far away. Oh, I could? Yeah, we use Stamps.com for all our Patreon rewards, and especially during the holidays, it's made all our shipping needs a snap. Okay, Geiler, who do I marry to try and get? No, no, you don't have to marry anybody. You can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in scathing. That's a Stamps.com enter scathing. That's right. Okay, Geiler, but Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be so disappointed to see these trees go. I'm sure she'll be fine. Are you guys getting rid of my blood trees? What the heck? See, I told you. Sarah. I milked the blood for these myself, Tyler. Myself. It's true, she did. <laughs> I milked the blood. <laughs> The problem with reading the case for Christ, other than the fact that it entails reading the case for Christ, is that as good as Lee Strobel is at bullshit, eventually all his bullshit starts tasting the same. It's like that diet of Frosted Flakes and Hot Pockets that seems so appealing as a child, but starts seeming like a mistake when you reach your early 40s. But just as this book <laughs> was about to lose me altogether, it gives me a shot in the arm with some of the most gourmet bullshit that Christian apologetics have to offer. That's right. This week's surprise celebrity chef will be none other than William Lane Craig. <laughs> oh, I was expecting a fuck doll of this guy in the mail from my cousin. Will he see? All right. Of course, sharing the table at this bullshit buffet is my lovely wife, Lucinda. Lucinda, welcome back. Well, I, I just want to point out here that when my friend's husband's asked them to swallow distasteful stuff, it's at least better than William Lane Craig's argument. Oh, there you go. All Run right. It out there. So let's get started with chapter 12, The Evidence of the Missing Body. This sounds like a Goosebumps episode. The Evidence of the Missing Body. <laughs> Was Jesus's body really absent from his tomb? Right. And if the name of the chapter is Evidence of the Missing Body, we're obviously going to start with a missing body. Specifically that of the heiress to the Brock candy fortune, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the story, by the way, is that a lady went missing in 1977 and we're pretty sure she's dead. But who the fuck knows? That's the story. <laughs> yep. Which is why Helen Brock is the daughter of God. Wait. <laughs> no. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, I got carried away. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and Very again, th this macabre story just serves the purpose of saying to the reader, okay, so you know corpses? 
Yeah. And, and you know, missing. <laughs> well, this is like both of those things all together. Yeah. And he calls the empty tomb, quote, the ultimate representation of Jesus's claim to being God, end quote. So the ultimate representation of their religion is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> His claim, not mine. Yeah. And he even points out, like, look, by my own words, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity is not true. Cool. Cool. Nobody can rise from the dead. That's impossible. So, uh, Jesus could, though. Cool. Cool. Uh, any chance you know the world's leading expert in could too? He does. That's where we get the 11th interview. The one you've all been waiting for. Drum roll, please. William Lane Craig, PhD, DTH. Will it see? Ooh. Will it see? <laughs> Ow! Uh, but before we get to the interview proper here, Lee has to recall that one time he saw William Lane Craig beat up five atheists with one hand tied behind his back and the other <laughs> hand stuck in a jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I believe that William Lane Craig got his hand stuck in a jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they make these butter knives curved in the bottom? I got all these ridges and I can't get the little ridges. We need a mayo knife. That, that's it. That's it. I'm going rogue. I'm going manual. I'm fucking going in. <laughs> and by the way, um, if you were wondering what kind of gaze William Lane Craig had when Lee was interviewing, it, uh, it was riveting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and if you were wondering what his pale blue eyes were doing as he weaved elaborate propositions and theories, they were dancing. <laughs> yes, they dancing? were. Dancing? Yes. Jesus Good. Christ. I'm glad they were dancing. And if you were wondering if he speaks in cogent sentences. Yes! <laughs> don't worry. William Lane Craig speaks in cogent <laughs> sentences. Good to know. So you can see why Lee Strobel was blown away by yeah. this guy. He feels the need to point that out. Unlike my other interviews. Right. He spends so long on WLC's made-up degrees and stuff, I actually got jealous. Like, can we get an equivalent of a useless set of accolades for our side? <laughs> I want a grand supreme wizardry macarena in atheism from Oxford University, which is Harvard and Oxford combined. Maybe you've heard of it. famous. <laughs> Oh, Eli comes out for his debate with William Lane Craig. He's just dressed like Muammar Gaddafi. <laughs> suits a giant diploma. Yeah. Uh, diploma. Just making it rain degrees with a dollar bill gun from a strip club. All right, but eventually William Lane Craig is sufficiently slathered in praise so we can get to the actual questions and shit, which starts with the second subheading, was Jesus really buried in the tomb? And we start with one of the real oddities Christians have to explain here. One of the main points of crucifixion is that, you know, you leave the dead guy up there. Yeah. You know, they're, they're there to serve as a warning to other people, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense to pry them off and stick them in tombs afterwards. So Lee poses that one to Willie. And of course, he shreds it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, bitch, I haven't even started special pleading yet. <laughs> Yeah, point one is, are you calling the Apostle Paul a liar? Yep, a lot of that. <laughs> and again, everything he's saying here relies on the preposterous assumption that if you say something soon, it must be correct. Right? Over and over. He's like, well, this was written very shortly after Jesus' death, and lies can't start growing until now cools all the way down. <laughs> That's how that works. Bush Sr. is the unique son of God. Nope. Sorry. Okay. Just, <laughs> Carried away. Yeah, I'm bad at word thinking. 
What's amazing is he can't even start intellectually honest. No. Nope. Right? By his own admission, he has to start with, well, if we assume my book is 100% accurate. Right. When he, <laughs> what he's trying to prove, by the way, is that his book is 100% accurate. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's actually the form of his uh, Kalam cosmological argument, too. It is. <laughs> Very similar. Yeah. All right. So now we have to talk about the dude who would have been fucking Jesus's corpse if it hadn't been for that pesky resurrection. So our next subheading is, is Joseph of Arimathea historical? And as though he's tested to see if we're paying attention here, this opens with the following exchange. Lee, didn't Mark say Joseph of Arimathea voted to kill Jesus? Willie, yeah, but Luke says he didn't. So, you know, there's no contradiction here. <laughs> I wanted Lee to be like, no, I meant between the two accounts. There's a contradiction. Yeah, no. Look at this fuzzy bacon toy. <laughs> you got the fuzzy bacon. You got it? What? You got it? Ah, grab it. Try to grab it. Try to grab the fuzzy bacon. Try to grab the fuzzy bacon. Try to grab the fuzzy bacon. Jump higher. Jump higher. Jump higher. Fuzzy bacon. Okay, you're tired. As I was saying. <laughs> All right, and then we get William Wayne Craig's favorite fallacy, the argument from ignorance. And, and this destroys almost every argument he will ever make in his life. He says here, well, it's really unlikely that the early Christian authors would create a character like Joseph of Arimathea. Therefore, he must have been real. But what you're really saying here is, I can't think of another reason for it. Therefore, it must be this. And you're not even saying that. Right. I mean, right. there's no reason for fucking Chris Tucker's character to be in the fifth element. Does that mean William Lane Craig thinks that Ruby Rod is historical? <laughs> okay, strong disagree. Son of Tucker. God. Sorry. Chris Tucker is the heart of that film. I am not going to have this fight again. <laughs> then why bring it up, Noah? Why bring it up if you don't want to do it? And then Lee says, well, couldn't it have been just a spiritual resurrection that they were talking about? And Willie goes, nope, Jews don't have souls. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, then we have to deal with the next argument. What if biblical era Eli just wanted to fuck his dead wrist holes? So the next subheading is how secure was the tomb? Right. And the answer to that, by the way, is you'd need at least three guys to roll back that rock. Let me tell you. Three guys? You mean like uh, apostles? Or? Nope. You Here, you take the fuzzy bacon. Fuzzy bacon. <laughs> fuzzy bacon. <laughs> it's fuzzy bacon. <laughs> Give me back. <laughs> And to Willie's credit, even he's willing to admit that the idea of Roman guards standing watch over Christ's dead body is just a little bit silly. Yeah. He has this great little argument with himself. He's this, this adorable like, well, what if they stole the body? No, they didn't. Yes, they did. Kiss me, you fool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Willie? Willie? So, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> relax. I... Bring those dolls just to act that out. Uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but before it's all over here Lee makes it super clear that he doesn't care what this brainiac has to say he believes the gospel's account well yeah and then Willie dismisses all the contradictions as quote secondary details you know things like who were the witnesses was there an angel from heaven there? No. Right? Did they did they ever tell anyone they what they found? You know, irrelevant stuff at the margins of the story. Okay, if the presence of a literal angel is a secondary detail, what the fuck is a primary yeah. detail? Yeah. You, you got to understand, angels are the mosquitoes of ancient Israel. They're just fucking everywhere. <laughs> So the primary detail is just 
the verb to be, like, <laughs> I'm describing it, it was. Thus, maybe angels and shit, or maybe not. Who the fuck remembers something like that? I mean, to a philosopher, that seems contradictory, but historians are all about conflicting stories and being vague. Uh, yes. I don't know. And then Lee volunteers that, uh, well, gee, if all the gospels said the exact same stuff, we'd know they were lying, huh? To which Willie pats him on the head and gives him a little treat. Yeah, lets him have the fuzzy bacon. Yeah, (laughs) That's right, Lee Strobel. Who's a good boy? You You are. This is how we know they weren't plagiarizing. Anyway, as I was saying, every single prophecy from the Old Testament comes true in the New Testament. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Craig says at one point, he's like, historians have irreconcilable accounts of Hannibal crossing the Alps, but we don't then assume that that's a historical. And and that's true. But the way we get to the historical core of the story is by eliminating all the impossible shit. Right. That's how those things are reconciled. Like, oh, a bird showed up and started giving him advice. Guess we can strike through that part. That's what Craig is arguing against doing here. Yeah, because birds only talk to Jesus. Right. Right. How ridiculous. He also argues at one point that Mark just had a different style of um, facts. (laughs) Different style. Yes. Alternative facts. Yep. (laughs) He literally says that. Matthew, John, and Luke. We're right. And Mark was alt right. <laughs> they were all yes. Yeah, they were all to <laughs> be. <laughs> and okay, so now we have to drill down on the reliability of a bunch of frightened, superstitious zealots from a pre scientific age that had never been to a school or anything like that in the subheading called Can the Witnesses Be Trusted? And spoiler alert, they can. Yeah, no, right. We get the the famous argument from Jews were too sexist to make up women discovering an important thing, which is, among other things, another argument from ignorance. Right, (laughs) because if we know anything about Christians, it's that they believe women. (laughs) (laughs) Top priority there, yeah. And at this point, it must have occurred to Lee that he'd spent the entire chapter slapping Band-Aids on amputations here. So he finally starts probing Willie for some affirmative evidence. Yeah, and just to show what an asshole William Lane Craig is, Lee says in his own book, he's like, why don't you give me your four or five best reasons why you think the tomb was empty? And Craig gives him a list of six things. (laughs) (laughs) I see you have a long line of rectangular tiles standing there on end. I would need to see you (laughs) knock them all over very, very quickly. (sighs) Okay, wow. Wow, yeah. Unique son of God. Son of God. So his first argument is, They were talking about that shit all the way back in the epistles. Yeah, the Bible was true even in the early Bible. Well done. Second, Jews never bothered to say his tomb wasn't empty. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) I have no idea. Yeah, that's how we know that Jesus converted back to Judaism on his deathbed. Right. Not a single Jewish person has contradicted that fact in history. (laughs) That is... Established. Plus, uh, also, Lee Strobel has a prolapsed micro penis. <laughs> but wait, you mind, did say Judaism. that soon, though. You said that right away. I said that right away. <laughs> Haven't heard a word about it from a Jew. But wait, there's more. His third argument is they were talking about that shit all the way back in Mark. Yeah, the Bible remained true even later in the Bible. <laughs> 
forth, if it was bullshit, it would have been cooler. Jesus probably would have had a wacky neighbor. Or yeah, something. right. No. Fifth, <laughs> Jews are sexist. Trump, Lucinda, what do you know? <laughs> a lot. Sixth, they weren't talking about a tomb full of Jesus all the way back in the epistles. <laughs> it's so desperate. He's like, I did, did I, I, I lifted another finger before I really thought about it. <laughs> all right. So then Lee says, okay, but a person of even well below average intelligence can still figure out a way to empty that tomb that doesn't resort to the creator of the universe doing magic on it. So aren't we just wrong, though? But he does finally say, well, isn't an unlikely explanation still better than an impossible one? And Willie says, no, shut up. Fuck me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Literally the summary of this entire yeah. book. <laughs> but, but Craig still closes on a point we can all agree on here, I guess. Apropos of nothing, he says, well, the least likely explanation is that Jesus's body resurrected of natural causes. Not sure why he brought that up. <laughs> yes. To be honest, but he totally did. It's it's just sitting there with him. Just to be clear, people don't come back to, to life. life. They do not come back to life. Yeah, that's not real. Cool. 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 Just checking that you knew. Just <laughs> And at this point, a, a good writer would, you know, offer up some kind of, well, William sure offered up some good arguments. And I guess it's now up to us to each decide for ourselves, but not Lee Strobel. No, he is not a good writer. No. So the final subheading in this one reads, <laughs> conclusion, the tomb was vacant. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like a secondary detail about the unique <laughs> son of God, doesn't it? Or last cherry just doesn't matter. Yeah. And and keeping in mind that Lee Strobel is still ostensibly defining himself as like the objective assessor of these facts who's not yet Christian. This is how he describes people who would deny the truth of the resurrection at the close here. Quote, they flounder, they struggle they snatch at straws. They contradict themselves. They pursue desperate and extraordinary theories to try to account for the evidence. End quote. <laughs> I feel like he accidentally pasted in his to-do list in the book. <laughs> yeah. In conclusion, you're stupid. You are. <laughs> and that's where the chapter proper exist. ends. Uh, but we still have a few deliberation questions to make our way through. So question one. What's your own conclusion concerning whether Jesus' tomb was empty on Easter morning? What evidence did you find most convincing in coming to that judgment? Uh, ooh, ooh, uh, I don't care, and coming back from the dead isn't real. There you go. <laughs> there yeah, you go. no, my, my conclusion is that fucking biblical era Hannibal Lecter climbed into the body and walked away, and my evidence is that that is infinity times more likely than the premise of the book. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm saying the... Uh... Uh, the Jewish ladies got there and they found a dead cat and a vial of poison. <laughs> and, uh, my evidence is that the Jews haven't said a goddamn word about, <laughs> about there not being a dead cat and a vial of poison. And my conclusion is that Jesus's tomb was empty and every Christian I've ever argued with was paying homage to that tomb with their heads. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question two. As Craig pointed out, Everyone in the ancient world admitted the tomb was empty. Everyone in the entire all ancient them. world. All of them. All of them. Cool. <laughs> the issue was how it got that way. Can you think of any logical explanation for the vacant tomb other than the resurrection of Jesus? If so, how do you imagine someone nope. like Bill Craig might respond to your theory? I cannot think of how a 
container could become less full. That is backwards. <laughs> so, uh, Bill Craig, please go away. Now, please find bus fare Now elsewhere. breathing right next to me. No, <laughs> no. Fuzzy Bacon, go get it. <laughs> Hell, I can't even think of a logical one, including the resurrection. <laughs> right? so I have no fucking well, <laughs> I mean, look, I can think of literally infinity more logical conclusions. Right. And I'd imagine Bill Craig would respond by whining about abstract philosophical concepts until he hit on one I'd never heard of. Uh, OK, argument. OK, my argument is that Jesus ran off with Helen uh, Brock and <laughs> then William Lane Craig would defend that argument for a living. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Question three. Read Mark fifteen forty two through sixteen eight. No, no, <laughs> no. Maury, read your dumb fucking book, ain't I? Been there, done that. The earliest account of Jesus's burial and empty tomb. Do you agree with Craig that this is stark in its simplicity and unadorned by theological reflection? <sighs> why or why not? Okay. Do I agree that the Bible is unadorned by theological reflection? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I actually, I don't. Now that I think I, about I, it, I do not. Now that you, I mean, I agree that Mark isn't a very compelling writer. That's the argument, right? If if this happened, it would be more interesting. <laughs> I said no to reading that parts of the Bible. So oh, no, from me. Okay. I also said no. Finished. <laughs> finished the test early. I'm already smoking drugs in the parking lot. So no votes. Homework. Slash A. <laughs> All right. Well, originally our plan was to be done with this fucking book by the end of the year, but it doesn't look like we're going to make the deadline. So we'll be back in next month with chapter 13 of The Case for Christ. Can't we just, or we like, could just be move done. ahead just and be stop. done? <laughs> yeah. But we know how it's going to end. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Before we pop back up the chimney this week, I wanted to announce something we're all pretty excited about here at Puzzle in a Thunderstorm. It looks like Matt Powell's long-awaited anti-evolution opus, Science Falsely So-Called, is out. And Heath, Eli, and myself will be breaking that one down at our live show in Dallas coming up on January 12th. Find tickets with the link on the show notes for this episode or check our Facebook page. Anyway, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight, but we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show's hot friend, God Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, and an even newer episode of our half-sister show Citation Nita debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, this episode couldn't climax if I neglected to thank Heath Enright for being jolly, bearded, and big-boned. I need to thank Eli Bosnick for being jolly, bearded, and fat. I need to thank the lovely Lucinda Lusions for only being jolly. Want to be super clear on what I'm saying there. I also want to thank the godless heathens Don, Jeff, and Jerry for providing this week's Farnsworth quote. If you'd like some more heathenism and some less God in your life, check out their podcast with a link on the show notes. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's most scintillating citizens, Ron, John, Mark, Doug, J.D. Luady, Cohen, Jacqueline, Alex, Will, and the Human Instrumentality Project. Ron, John, Mark, and Doug, whose ejaculations are so powerful they wear Kevlar condoms. J.D. Cohen and Jacqueline, who are so bright their IQ is measured in lumens. And Alex, Will, and Human, who are so attractive they can't help but organize iron filings. Together, these ten titans of trenchancy entrusted a token of treasure to tirades towards two-faced teleologists this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the lack of unpurchased gifts on their list it takes to give us money, but if you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at 
at patreon.com slash scathingatheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres. Tim Robertson handles our social media, and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. I feel like we could make a really fun like video for the patrons of you smoking crack. Like Eli Me tries crack. crack. Yeah. That could be fun. I feel, feel like that would be less fun than we're all imagining. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it what would if, be fun for everyone but you. What yeah. if what if Heath does the crack? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, just scrolling at normal speed, it'd be fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm on the page. <laughs> Crazy. What would we do? The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.